Hello and welcome to a non-award-winning, but possibly award-giving episode of the award-winning, and again, not award-winning, the Play It As It Lies podcast. We're here to hand out what we think is the best of the best, because we are the best of the best. At least we think so. And with me, as always, is the best of all of the best, Frank Fleka. Mm. Well, Rodham, I appreciate that that handsomely generous introduction, but... uh. I'd be hard-pressed to say that you're actually the best of the best, and uh, not me. But regardless, we are here uh, amidst more NBA bubble action. I'm feeling like a bubble boy myself these days, uh, cooped up in the house watching nothing but NBA basketball. And I got to say, it's been a great time. You might be a bubble boy, but I'm feeling a little bit like the dirty bubble. You know, I really have just been sitting down here playing 2K and watching basketball for about the last... Oh, God, the last week. Uh, but I can't imagine any better basketball. And I, we talked about it a few days ago. Some of the best games we've ever seen. And it's really interesting because none of the bad teams are participating. There's not a Charlotte mm. Hornets game on every few nights to really drown it up. We're not talking about the Knicks and James Dolan every night. It is great to see such fantastic basketball out on the court every night. Yeah, it definitely is. And, you know, if you're a fan of some of those teams, like the Hawks or, or the Hornets, or the Bulls, or any of the of the basement dwellers in the NBA. And I, I'm a Wizards fan, of course, so, you know, I'm, I'm right on the fence there. But still, I mean, if you're a fan of those teams, sure, you wanna, you'd like to be watching your team play in the bubble right now, but there's no denying that the quality of play uh, that we're watching of NBA basketball right now, day in, day out, is some of the best that we've seen ever, frankly. And like you said, it's because these are the 22 best teams in the league and they're playing each other um, multiple times a week. Definitely has been a fun sight to see. And, uh, you know, Rodham, sometimes when I'm feeling down, um, I like to think about how TJ Warren was traded for cash considerations from the Phoenix Suns to the Indiana Pacers. And now I use that fact in the back of my head to uh, boost my self-esteem because um, you know, maybe I'm just cash considerations and maybe that's not such a bad thing. Hey, maybe it's not. I mean, uh, never forget that sometimes uh, a good split was good for both parties. Uh, TJ Warren, uh, the MVP of the bubble, uh, his former Phoenix Suns who traded him for cash considerations are the best team of the bubble. So sometimes, you know, a split is required, but imagine, imagine what a 50 point scoring TJ Warren would do on top of an already all-star esque Devin Booker and the rest of that squad out there. So, you know, you know, I'm glad it boosts in self-esteem. It really should be helping for uh, underdogs everywhere. Yeah, for sure. But, I mean, before we go into our segment, seriously, like, it, this bubble basketball has been incredibly unpredictable and volatile. And, it, I mean, that's part of the reason it's been so great. I mean, almost all of our predictions have gone the opposite direction, but it's totally fine because, you know, nobody would have foreseen TJ Warren uh, becoming the Michael Jordan of Disney World right now, and nobody would have seen the Phoenix Suns winning every single game and playing their way into contention for the eighth seed. Um, and there's that's just two of many different developments um, that have been unexpected. But you know, you got to expect the unexpected. One thing that we can expect now that we are guaranteed their top three competitors is who might win each of the NBA's final highest tier awards. 
at the end of the season. Yes, that's the most important thing that came out this week, no matter whatever game result is, is in fact the three finals for all of the major awards for the NBA. We'll pretty much be running down all of the finalists in each category and uh, give you a little bit of a preview of which one we think and how they rank against each other and also a little odds bets on play, what you can play for those futures. So, Frank, are you ready to get it started? I am absolutely ready, Roden. Why don't you kick it off with Rookie of the Year? Well, Rookie of the Year is an award that is near and dear to my heart because I am very passionate in support in the number one man that deserves, without a doubt, to win it. But we'll get to that very soon. For our three finalists are from the Miami Heat, a point guard that got undrafted from the 2018 draft, made itself way up through the G League, and now plays the number one for the Miami Heat. It is Kendrick Melvin Nunn. Yes, that's right, Kendrick Melvin Nunn. Never forget that that is his middle name. At our second finalist is, of course, the phenomenal former Dukey that plays in New Orleans Pelicans. May have stayed out for a little bit, but he is finally back. It is Zion Latif Williamson. And, of course, finishing us off, it's the boy, the Memphis Grizzly, the king of South Carolina and of Memphis, I guess, at the moment. Uh, it is Demetrius Jamel Morant. So I'll start here with Kendrick Nunn, and uh, there's a lot to be said about this guy, especially because he was a G-leaguer last year, but is now leading one of the league's best defensive teams, definitely the forefront of it. Uh, he has 66 games played, 15.2 points per game, a pretty low 3.3 assists per game, but he still is a very important part of this team with 2.7 rebounds, 4.43 field goal percentage, along with a 3.35.6 from three, 84% from the line, leading the fourth best team in the East at a 43 and 27 record. Frank, you want to break down his case? You know, I'd love to. And I like to call this guy Kendrick Nunya because it's Nunya as in none of any of our businesses uh, where he came from because nobody knew who Kendrick Nunn was until this season. And he deserves a lot of credit for emerging onto the scene as a former undrafted free agent. And, you know, if you're making the case for him winning this award, and it's obviously quite a long shot, but a lot of it's based on narrative because he has, you know, the best, most relatable story for a lot of people out of all these three players. He wasn't, he wasn't very highly sought after. Uh, he's an unknown commodity, but he started all 66 games for the fourth best team in the Eastern Conference this year. And the highest three-point percentage and free throw percentage of these three finalists for the award. Um, unfortunately, at the same time, you know, while it would be nice to see, you know, the little guy, so to say, like Kendrick Nunn, you know, surprise and win this award, it's just, it's just not likely to happen. I mean, if we're being frank about this, he, he's the least talented player of this group. And while he's on the best team, you know, at the same time, you can say that kind of hurts his case because he means less to the Miami Heat than, say, Zion means to the Pelicans and, say, John Morant means to the Grizzlies. And overall, his numbers are inferior compared to both players. Yeah, and I think you really nailed nailed it uh, with why he probably is not going to get it. And I think one of the most statistical reasons for that is the fact that Kendrick Nunn, a point guard, has yet to register a game of 10 assists or more, uh, which is pretty concerning to me. I mean, 
uh, points is not a problem for him at all. You know, that 15 points per game is not bad. He's registered a few 30-point games. Not, And, I mean, pretty great shooting nights. Um, that Spurs game in January is probably his most memorable one, uh, nailing down five threes, including a clutch winner uh, versus the Spurs uh, as he dropped 33. But the fact that he hadn't managed to get 10 assists is kind of concerning for me as him's potential. He definitely could grow into a more premier point guard, but I wouldn't be surprised if Kendrick Nunn ends up being a shooting guard later in his career, uh, kind of a la Devin Booker. Uh, but that's really it. I mean, uh, you got to really be on awe of what this guy did and how hard this guy has to have worked. So I agree with you. I don't know if he's got the chops to make it, but his story alone is one that many people need to hear. Is great, and it's definitely not the same thing can be said for the other two guys, uh, and obviously not the next guy we're going to be talking about, and that's going to be Zion Williamson, the Dookie. Very different story. Obviously, the best player in his class was the affirmed number one from the second he stepped onto the court, Cameron Indoor Arena. Uh, and especially coming out of high school, uh, he was already known to be that guy. Uh, and his stats, even though they didn't have a lot of the games played, only 23 do back up how good he is with 22.4 points per game, 6.2 rebounds, 2.1 assists, a 58.8 field goal percentage, 63.4 on the line, but measly 2.5 turnovers to go along with the 12th best team in the West at a 30 and 39 record. Frank down. Yeah, I mean, you pretty much laid out the case. Uh, Zion is a beast. I mean, there's there's nothing much more that needs to be said, really. If this award had nothing to do with uh, with games played, Zion would be the front runner, and he'd be probably a shoe in in just a short period of time. He pretty much took the league by storm and became. I would only you can't even say overnight sensation because he's been in the public eye for for years now, ever since his days playing for Spartanburg back in high school. But in terms of coming onto the NBA and scene, he became an overnight sensation. I mean, his debut was electric and he just went from there. Um, unfortunately, and I know this is pretty much, you know, this is the underlying discussion here. He's only played 23 games. And to put that in perspective, he wasn't going to reach um, a halfway mark of 41 games this season. And to me, I think that, that's that's really the biggest number. I don't think that for as good as Zion is and for the individual talent and, and future superstar that he is, he simply was not on the court enough this season to really be considered for this award, in my opinion. So I understand why he's on the list. And based on the player he is, he's certainly deserving of winning this award. But uh, he just didn't play enough. And I, I have a feeling you feel the same way. I really do feel the same way, and I think this is an argument that's had to have been had since Joel Embiid back when he was a competitor uh, versus Malcolm Brogdon, and uh, this is an argument that also had to be had back when Ben Simmons won. It's just, the fact is, you can't be the best rookie of the season having only played 23 games, even with a shortened season. The fact that both Jaw and Kendrick Nunn played 60-plus games and Williamson has yet to crack 25, adding on the games he's played in the bubble, I, it's kind of ridiculous to even include him on him. Uh, I know you're pretty you're pretty contentious in the fact that he's even listed on this list, um, but I I think he deserves this finalist role. He had a great rookie opening season. He's gonna be at least a, a second team rookie player, um, and that's gonna be a little disheartening forever. He gets cut in front, but in no way does he deserve to be labeled as the best rookie of the season because, quite frankly, playing 23 games it means you were the best rookie for two months, maybe, but not not a full season. So, uh, yeah, I think that that's it for Mr. Williamson. But uh, you mentioned Spartanburg Day School in South Carolina, and we've got to move, move over to his partner, John Morant, back in those AAU days. And it's 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 the big one. 
It's the guy I think I'm I'm most happy about, and that's because my Memphis Grizzlies have been led all season by the phenom- phenomenal human highlight reel that is John Morant, posting a 33 and 37 record in the West. Actually, currently sitting them in ace, pretty much the lead of the reason why they sit there. Uh, his 2019 stats read as 64 games played, 17.8 points per game, 7.1 assists per game, 3.7 rebounds, 48.2% from the field, along with 34.1% from the three-point line. Frank, break down his case. Well, you know, Rotom, I could break down the case for him, but out of respect to you, you as a longtime Memphis Grizzlies fan, an avid Ja Morant fan and, and the leader of the Ja Morant fan club, I think it's only right that I uh, that I pass this baton right back over to you and let you make the case and give you the floor. I you know, I appreciate that. I was uh, I was hoping when we started doing this episode, I was like, man, I hope I get the I get the John Morant breakdown. But it it's it's not a question here. I think it is going to be ridiculous if John Morant doesn't come out the unanimous winner of the rookie of the year, not only because of the Zion Williamson effect of him only playing 23 games, not only because his Grizzlies a team that was destined to be the worst team in the NBA this year outside of possibly the Golden State Warriors, not only because he has consistent, incredible highlights on all-star players like Kevin Love, Anthony Davis, Damian Lillard, Evan Booker, Trey Young, and those are just to get started. He is the type of player that the NBA loves to watch. A Dominique Wilkins human highlight reel of a monster that has led a team purely by his heart and his will and his grind of playing to a playoff spot. And quite frankly, I don't think a rookie of the year competition deserves to be more than that because if a player comes into the league with that much heart, with that much ability to change a franchise in this direction, just just take a second to think where you thought these Grizzlies team, this crappy-ass Grizzlies team, this shitty-ass Grizzlies team was going to be at this point in the season. And without John Morant, we'd be there. With John Morant, here we are at the top of the bubble, and the, the, the toughest competition in this bubble right now is that eight seed for the West, and the current occupants of it are John Morant and his Grizzlies. And that's why, easy enough, unanimous deserver of the Rookie of the Year award, John Morant. Yeah, well said. I, I definitely did not expect the Grizzlies to be anywhere near playoff contention this year, and I don't think many people did at all. And... John Morant is definitely the biggest reason, if not the sole reason, why they have uh, they've managed to be so successful this year. And the future is bright, and I think this will probably be the first of many awards that uh, that he wins moving forward. But you know, Rotom, for as good as John Morant is, that's not to say that areas of his game where he can improve upon, like any other player in the league. And that leads us to our next award, uh, which is the most improved player of the year award now this is personally maybe my favorite award year in year out because i just think that uh the combination of stats and storyline uh merge really well with these awards and you usually get a very interesting selection of players and this year is no different so rotem why don't you uh why don't you break down the candidates that we have so for most improved player, it's kind of a mishmash of types of players. A lot of different former uh, archetypes of the players who have won most improved are shown off here. And we start here with the Slovenian superstar that is Luka Doncic. A possibility for a, a contention here for the MVP, but here he is uh, in the most improved category, leading his Dallas Mavericks pretty high up the chain into what I think currently the seventh seed. 
and uh, a great, great offense. Uh, and when we're talking about great offense, it's going to be the other competitor, a Brandon Ingram type, a guy who's really flourished, a guy no longer being held to the pressures that is playing in the yellow and purple in the Staples Center is absolutely flourishing as the number one option for the New Orleans Pelicans in their race for the playoffs. And finally, I think we have the most stereotypical type of most improved player, and that is one of those stories that you just love to see a guy really improve his numbers, work on his game, turn himself into an all-star. That is Bama DeBio of the Miami Heat, pretty much the lock, heart, and soul of that defense, that zone defense that managed to flex out on every single person that came into the American Airlines arena. And putting Jimmy Butler aside, I, I think there's no doubt that he is one of those game changers and the reason why they're in such a good position. Uh, and that's why we're going to start with Bam here. Um, because quite frankly, the, the, his all-star nomination is is all you need to know about Bam in a difference of 10 minutes 10.7 minutes per game, an increase of 7.2 points per game, three rebounds per game, 3.3 assists, and half a block, almost half a steal. I just, I, this is one of the stories that really I just love seeing the way he's grown, both as tactically, both as numerically, just the way he plays. He has such a great swagger to him. I love watching Bam. And uh, Frank, anything, anything else you want to add? I feel like I've already broken down his case a little bit. No, I mean, you definitely did. And you said a lot of things that I agree with. And I think those are unquestionable universal points that you made i mean bam is is frankly a joy to watch and i mean in 2018 he was you know relegated to a backup role behind behind hassan whiteside but i mean you saw the flashes of him becoming an all-star caliber player i just don't think uh, most people didn't expect it to happen this fast and for him to become this good in just his first full season as a starter i mean but you gotta you got to credit him for, for making the improvements to his game that he did. I mean, he he thrived as the Heat starting center. That's the only way you can say it. I mean, 16 points per game, uh, over 10 rebounds, five and a half assists, which which is a pretty crazy number when you think about, you know, where he was, you know, coming into the league. No one really saw him as much of a playmaker type, um, but he, he's truly a Swiss Army knife type of center. And I mean, in addition to five and a half assists, he averaged over a steal and over a block. Um, so, you know, I love Bam Adebayo. And one thing we didn't mention is that he won the skills challenge at the NBA All-Star Weekend, which nobody expected either. So um, credit to him for putting up a tremendous season. Um, but that leads us to our next player who, in his own right, you know, put up quite a season himself. And that is a player that you mentioned already, which is Brandon Ingram of the New Orleans Pelicans. and Ingram was traded, obviously, for Anthony Davis as part of the big package from L.A. to New Orleans. And he played pretty much about the same amount of minutes per game, just a shade under 34 minutes. But his role certainly changed from L.A. to New Orleans. He became the de facto go-to guy, and it's a role that he pretty much thrived in. I mean, he proved himself to be an all-star caliber player, and his points increased Five by 5.3, his rebounds increased by a full rebound as well as his assist. But the biggest numbers were his shooting percentages. Three-point percentage increased by 5.9%, and his free throw percentage increased by a whopping 17.7 percentage points. So Ingram clearly made significant improvements and strides in his game. Rotom, do you think that he has a strong case to win this award? 
Yeah, I really think he does. And um, I, I think that the fact that he has been the pretty much cornerstone of this Pelicans team while Zion has been out in the injury is definitely one of his biggest cases. Not to mention the fact that he's actually been on the floor for the entirety of this season. Uh, unlike most of his Lakers campaigns that had to be uh, tragically cut short due to like clots and ankles injuries and uh, patella injuries, uh, he's actually managed to stay consistently on the floor. And you can see that how much that's helped him in his game because uh, month after month, he started posting career high after career high after career high. And uh, if we can point to one specific game, I think uh, not many people will forget that almost 50-pointer. He had to essentially win a game versus the Utah Jazz uh, where he dropped 49 points, uh, mostly based off three throws. But that three-point percentage that was clutch with all three of his three-pointers coming in the fourth quarter essentially won that game for the Pelicans, proving once again that Brandon Ingram who was originally viewed as by the Lakers as maybe like a third tier option compared to Kyle Kuzma and LeBron James when he joined uh, is definitely a first tier scorer and was heavily, heavily rewarded uh, with his uh, all-star. I think the only problem here is the fact that, you know, well, Brandon Ingram was the number two overall pick. We kind of were expecting him to be this good. It just kind of took him a little bit to take it. Uh, Not really a drag on him. It's just that maybe Bam, who we weren't expecting to hit this level, might have an edge on him here. Yeah, I think it's a good point. And I mean, what what kind of works against Ingram's favor is that he's been in the league longer than someone like Bam or someone like Luca, who who also is on this list. I mean, this is his fourth career season, whereas Luca, this is his second season as Bam. This is his third season. But Bam really hasn't emerged as as a full time rotation type player until last year, whereas Ingram, he's been playing a decent amount of minutes since his rookie year. and He's made gradual improvements to his game. So, yes, while he did, you know, make a pretty substantial jump from year three to year four in his first season with the Pelicans, I think it's easier to point to the improvements of someone like Bam, who played, you know, like we said, 10 more minutes per game and his role just increased far more drastically um, than someone like Ingrams did. But, you know, Rodham, you want to talk about the next guy who's really the talk of the town right now? Talk of the town right now? He's been the talk of the town all season. And I think we mentioned him probably more than anyone else on this uh, on this podcast for a lot of good reasons. And that is, of course, Luka Doncic and his Mavericks. Uh, you know, his jumps are a 7.9 increase in points per game, a 1.7 increase in rebounds per game, almost 3.3 assists per game increase, along with a solid field goal percentage increase of 3.7 and 4.2 on the line. Now, most of those numbers should be incredibly jarring for a player to be able to do that after such an incredible rookie season. Not only that, he also leads the league in triple doubles this season, uh, which is something he was getting close to last season. So a pretty good case for Mr. Doncic here. And the big thing that has to be known about him is, well, one of the things we talked about multiple times this season is the fact that he's now a 97 overall in 2K. Easily his most improved player cases for moving from a top 30, 35 player in the NBA to top eight maybe a little controversial but top five potentially player in the nba he is an utmost incredible undoubted superstar increasing in all three of his points increasing his role in the offense increasing his role in the defense increasing his role on the national stage becoming an all-star starter that's a lot of role increases so it's a whole lot of roles that he's taken on uh but the fact is after a rookie of the year campaign and after already being the guy we knew he was is he really most improved or is he just kind of continuing from where he left off this is really a question i think for you know it's the question we have all the time for mvp is what does most most valuable mean but what does most improved really mean i mean luca definitely improved a lot but 
did he really improve more than we expected him to, or is this just continual sophomore year success, uh, kind of like LeBron making as a first all-star in his second year, KD making the all-NBA team in his second year? I I think this is just natural superstar progression. I think that's going to harm him a lot in voting. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, between these three players, in 2018, Luka was clearly the best player of the group by a pretty wide margin. And so when you're pointing from, you know, when you're talking about most improved, he already had the higher, he already had the higher floor of the group. And I don't know if anyone expected him to be this good of a player this quickly, but we knew he could get there. And I think that the expectations for him were already higher than someone like Bam Adebayo or Brandon Ingram. So, you know, for that reason, and I understand why Luke is on this list. I mean, statistically, a jump in points by by almost eight points per game, as well as improvements in other categories, like you mentioned, like rebounds, assists, and shooting percentage. Statistically, it makes sense why he's on this list. But I think that he uh, he might be better placed in another award that starts with most. And that's pretty much what I'm going to leave it as. But, you know, Rotom, it's, it's time we make a decision here. Who is your vote for most improved player of the year? Well, actually, Frank, uh, you know, I'm glad you asked because I, I'm kind of going a little bit off book. I know he's not going to win because he didn't end up being one of the finalists, but a disgusting snub from this set of finalists, I think, was one of the guys that worked the hardest is the guy who should have been, even according to Luca, one of the finalists, Devonta Graham. I would vote for him over all three of these guys purely because he went from his 2018-2019 season averaging a paltry 4.7 points per game and 2.6 assists while shooting 28.1% from beyond the arc to 18.2 points per game, a difference of 14 points per game, 7.5 assists, a difference of 5.2, and 37.3% from beyond the arc, almost 10 percentage points up from beyond the arc. I, I don't understand a world in which Devontae Graham is the finalist. I barely understand one of which we is the winner. But that's beyond the point. He is a snub. He deserved to be on here. Lucas said it himself. But if you got to pick one of these three, it's got to be Bam. It, it not only said the story on his side, but he did he did everything I mentioned, just like I said with Devontae Graham, is he upped his points. He took his role. He firmly grasped it. And he, he ran with it and became an all-star. Yeah, you know, I mean, I liked how you said he firmly grasped it. Because uh, great SpongeBob reference, one. And two, very accurate statement. Because I, I'm going to agree with you here. I'm going to go with Bam. And I think that Luca is definitely the best player of this group. But I frankly think that he's kind of just disqualified from, from being in contention for this award. At least for me. I mean, we, we mentioned already, but he's just too good to be on this list, in my opinion. And I think there's a case to be made. For Brandon Ingram, certainly, and I think we laid it out, but I think Bam gets the slight edge, ultimately. Shout out to Bam for firmly grasping the most improved player of the year award. So, Frank, you know, we are a betting podcast. We should probably discuss some odds numbers. Uh, Sadly, Devontae Graham closed out at plus 1,100, but between the three finalists, we have uh, Luca at plus 550, Brandon at plus 260, and Bam Adebayo at minus 140. So he's the odds-on favorite that we've both selected here. Are you putting your money on Bam? That's tough, you know, because I'm not surprised that Bam is the favorite, and I think that he should be. I mean, I think that he is the best case win when you consider all the different factors. But I think at plus 260, Brandon Ingram, that might actually be the best value there because I don't think that Luka has the case to win this award, honestly. But someone like Brandon Ingram, 
I wouldn't be surprised if he gets some, you know, some sympathy from the voters and and possibly could edge out Bam. I mean, I don't think it it should happen necessarily, but I think that the possibility exists. I don't think it's out of this world to think that that could happen. And at plus 260, that's a decent number to me. Um, I think that Bam is going to win. I think Bam should win. But I think Brandon Ingram's betting value might be the best of that bunch. Yeah, I completely agree. I just, you know, there's never really much of a a buzz to bet on someone with a minus, but I just think he's such an odds-on favorite and such a such a heartwarming tale. I think of, of watching Bam and everything he had. So I I would still probably put my money on Bam just because he's the most likely winner and a guy I just like seeing winning. But it is because we got to see a lot of guys, uh, a lot of these three guys on the court. But the guys that you don't see on the court as often also deserve to be heralded just as much. And that's where we take it to the sixth man of the year award. Uh, should be nicknamed the Lou Will Award. Uh, and surprise, surprise, he's got another finalist in his bag. The question is, will he win it as he's going up against fellow Clippers teammate, just like he did last year, Montrez Harrell. And this year, replacing Demonis Sabonis is going to be Dennis Schroeder in the competition. And because he's the newcomer, we're going to start here with Schroeder, who played 64 games on 30.8 minutes per game. So he's just about approaching starter territory in minutes. But in those minutes, he averaged 18.9 points per game, 4.0 assists per game, 3.7 rebounds per game, along with 46.9% shooting from the field, 37.9 three-pointer percentage, and 83.8 from the line. Frank, what do you think about Mr. Dennis the Menace? Well, I think that Dennis the Menace was a menace for opposing defenses all season. And I think that he quietly had a, a very strong season, one of the better seasons of his career. In fact, if you're looking at his field goal percentage and three-point percentage, uh, he hit career highs in those numbers. And I think that speaks to uh, to how he really meshed well in, in the three-guard dynamic um, that the Thunder tried out this year alongside Chris Ball and Shai Gilgis-Alexander. And Schroeder was the third if, or fourth most important player on this Thunder roster this year. And he came off the bench and provided a spark when they needed it. And I think that he played a pretty key, he was a pretty key factor in the Thunder's surprising success this year. And it's nice to see him on this, on this list. He was a starter for the Atlanta Hawks for a few seasons there for the majority of his career after Jeff Teague went on the decline. But now Schroeder's kind of settled into a bench role. And evidently it's one that he's thriving in. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, bench roles are a hard one, especially when you get those late, late minutes playing. It really does show how strong of a player you are to manage to start off the bench, control that second unit, and manage to drive them to the best place they could be, which is something that our next guy, Montrez Harrell, is always used to, the heart and soul of the second unit for the Los Angeles Clippers, currently the second team in the West. And it's not a doubt due both to their bench stars. Uh, and the fact is, Montrez Harrell, who averages just a tiny more, more points than Lou Will, is going to be our starter here. Uh, ironically enough, a starter uh, with 27.8 minutes per game, 18.6 points per game, 7.1 rebounds per game, along with 1.1 blocks and a solid 58% field goal percentage. What do you think about Mr. Harrell? Well, Montrez Harrell is one of my favorite players to watch because uh, no matter what he's doing on the basketball court, he makes me feel like in my life I need to get off the couch and just do something and be active and do something that requires energy because this guy is the energizer bunny. I mean, he's always playing 
at 110% effort, and he never slows down. And you love to see players play that way, and he is, in many ways, the heart and soul of this Clippers team. I mean, without him and his presence, um, the Clippers just aren't the same team, and I think we're kind of seeing a little bit of that down in the bubble right now. He is yet to suit up for the Clippers, and they're kind of missing that inside presence and uh, two-way energy that he brings to the table. And, uh, you know, Rotom, we're all about factoids on this podcast, so here's a little fact for you. Uh, Since 2010, the Sixth Man of the Year award has been won by a guard in every single season. Uh, 2010 was the last season that a non-guard won the award, and that was none other than Lamar Odom. So uh, what do you think? Could this be the first time since 2010 that we see a big man take home six man of the year honors? We definitely should. Uh, one of the things about six man of the year is that it's it also represents a lot of the team-based chemistry. I think that and uh, most improved players are a lot about the heart and soul aspect of it. And Montrose Harrell is the indignation of what a uh, six man is. And really, uh, between him and Pat Bev, I don't think you could get a more spirited duo on that defensive side. And with Montrose being the one that comes off the bench, he's the one that is going to win out the heart of being the heart. We're going to flip to the other side, uh, maybe skip that Lou, if you will, uh, to a guy who's been in the news for just a little bit of the wrong reasons. Uh, you know, the incumbent holder of the sixth man of the year, he's, he's pretty used to being in this position of a potential win. Uh, and that's going to be, of course, Lou Williams, or as uh, you called him before the podcast, Lemon Pepper Lou, uh, who's 63 games played, two starts, 28.8 minutes per game, 18.2 points per game, 5.6 assists per game, along with 3.1 rebounds, 35.4% three-point shooting, and four, and 86.2% from the line. Puts him in a pretty good position to maybe pack a fourth award to his name. What do you think about Sweet Lou, Frank? You say he's been in the news for for bad reasons, but you know I think that's I think that's a matter of opinion because you know Lemon Pepper Lou, a nickname that was uh, introduced by none other than Shannon Sharp. I think it's a great nickname, and you know, yeah, sure he left the bubble, but uh, he just wanted some dry rub. So you know sometimes you got to do what you got to do. But uh, Lou Williams is one of my favorite players in the league and has been for quite some time. I mean, this is his award. This is, like you said, this should be called the Lou Williams Award because he he wins it a lot. I mean, he's won it the past two seasons, and he could be going for a three-peat. But um, for as good of a season as he had, and obviously is extremely important to the Clippers' success, I just I don't like the idea of him winning it for a third straight year. Um, and I think that him and Montrez Harrell playing on the same team both being on this list is is a little bit odd to me. And I know it was the same way last year, and that didn't stop him from taking home the award in 2019. But, I mean, it's the sixth man of the war. It's the sixth man of the year, not the sixth men. And you're not really supposed to be able to have two bench players who qualify as a sixth man. And, you know, I, I'm not sure where you stand on that. But for me, and then maybe this is kind of uh, hinting at who I think should win, I think that Montrez and Lou, the presence of each of them on this list kind of cancels each other out, does it not? I think it might. Uh, but if we're talking at the end of the day about who was the best player off the bench for any team, if we're already making our picks, I got to say that the best guy coming off the bench that changed the way the team plays, it's going to be Montrez Harrell. Uh, I know he didn't win it last year, and especially with Lou Will, he, his argument's definitely a little bit weaker, but he's scoring more points than Lou Will. 
He's grabbing more boards. He's, I would dare say he's more influential to the way that team plays. And especially with Marcus Morris being the guy that's currently playing at the five for the Clippers, I think that having that big presence behind them uh, is, is a big necessity and a big thing that Doc Rivers has been focused on, especially this season as compared to last season, which kind of, for me, takes Montrose Harrell. I think Dennis Schroeder is a very, 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 very close second in the same way of which they're very important to the way that their team plays. But... For me, I think it's time the streak breaks and uh, Lamar Odom to Mondros Harrell is a nice little uh, torch passing. Mm. It certainly would be in, uh, you know, 2010 to 2020. You know, it'd be a good way to start start the new decade off with another big man winning this award. And I think I think Montrez definitely has a strong case. But, I, you know, I got to revert back to what I just said. If Lou Williams was not on this list, if it was somebody else who wasn't a Clipper, then I would be saying I think Montresarrel should win, but again I I just think that Dennis Schroeder is is my candidate for this award because of the fact that you have two players on the same team on the same list. I mean maybe maybe I'm being a little ridiculous with that, but um, for as good as Montresarrel is and was this season, I got to give it to Schroeder. I mean I think that like you said Schroeder for you is a close second for me Montrez is a close second. Yeah, you know, we'll just let have to let bygones be bygones, but while we don't agree on who should be the sixth man of the year, uh maybe we'll agree about where we should put our money. What do the numbers say uh as it relates to the sixth man of the year award? Uh well, it is still a three-man race and a pretty pretty tight one cuz no one really knows where this one's going. But your man Dennis Schroeder is actually sitting at plus 125, the highest of the group. Uh, my boy Montrez is a plus 175, and the odds are that Lou Will does not bag his fourth at plus 200. Are you sticking with your man Dennis to bet a nice 125 positive? Hmm. I am, yeah. I, I think that I'm a little surprised to see that Lou Williams is third, just because of you know his the name recognition and the fact that you know he he's an established commodity, especially when it comes to this award. But uh, if Schroeder were to have Minus odds in the same way that we were talking about with Bam Adebayo. Um, I might say that Montrez Harrell is the better bet, but because they're so close at plus 125 and plus 175, I have a feeling that uh, that the voting electorate is going to uh, gonna kind of have the same mindset as me, where where two players on the same team shouldn't be winning the award. And I think that plus 125, that's pretty decent value uh, for Dennis the Menace. I got to agree with you. You know, as much as I want to see Montrez, and I think he deserves the award, I think after Lou Will winning it last year, I think they're going to, the voters are going to kind of turn on this idea of the dual uh, sixth men, uh, which is, it really sucks for Montrez because I think he really did deserve it this year. Uh, just the ferocity at which he played uh, is very different from the way it was last year where they both had to kind of step in and be closers, where Lou Will was a little bit better at that. This year, they're both just coming in to be uh, more or less a uh, third and fourth fiddle to uh, PG and Kawhi, which Montrez Harrell is a little bit better at. So I think it's really going to be a loss, but I, I agree with you. I think the voters are going to side with Dennis Schroeder here, even though a little bit undeserved in my opinion. Well, you know, Rodham, here's an idea for you. A brand new award in the NBA ballot, the seventh man award, and we'll call it the Montrez Harrell Award, and he can just win it every single year for the rest of his career. Uh, pretty much anyone playing next to Lou Will is going to be winning that award. Hey, maybe Jamal Crawford will finally have a shot to uh, beat Lou Will again, but we'll have to uh, we'll have to see if uh, Lou Will is going to be able to defend his award. 
But as we talk about defending awards, we're going to have to slide it over to the defensive player of the year. And we'll start with our three finalists. Uh, the guy defending his defensive award is going to be Rita Gobert, the Stifle Tower, the current two-time incumbent winner of the Defensive Player of the Year award, currently leading his judge to a number four spot in the West, uh, is going to go up against Anthony Davis and his number one Lakers and Giannis Antetokounmpo, the first time we've mentioned his name. It definitely will not be the last, uh, leading to his Milwaukee Bucks first in the East. But we'll start here with Rudy. Uh, because he is, you know, he deserves a little recognition. He does have both of the last two awards in his pockets, uh, his very large pockets. The man is pretty huge. I think the tallest between the three. But what you need to know about Rudy Gobert is his 10.2 defensive rebounds, 106.6 defensive rating, 2.0 blocks, 0.8 steals. And what do we what do we got to know about the big Frenchman? Well, you never wrote him. Rudy Gobert, great defensive player at this point. I mean, what else needs to be said? He's won it the past two seasons. And, you know, we talked about how Lou Williams is going for a three-peat. Rudy Gobert is doing the same. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think that uh, he's very well positioned to win it this time around. And for as good as he is playing defense on the basketball court, uh, do not tell that to his immune system. And do not say that to his white blood cells. Because uh, when the coronavirus is coming to the rim, it's a posterization on Rudy Gobert, and I think that's all you need to know about uh, his candidacy for this award. Yeah, uh, much like coronavirus, a lot of people have been able to score on the Jazz uh, this year, and uh, it's undoubtedly because he's lost his defensive stalwart, Derek Favors, next to him. Uh, the Jazz for the last two years have been the most efficient defense in the NBA, but this year they are only 11th. Uh, genuinely, I believe that Rudy Gobert is only here due to the history and the fact that he's still a top five defender in the NBA. I just don't know if he's number one this year. Maybe didn't deserve this credit lining. He managed to get a finalist spot. Congratulations. But he's a distant third from the next two guys we're going to talk about, and that's going to be Anthony Davis. He's a, so he's a socially distant third. He is a socially distant third behind uh, two guys that hopefully are wearing masks as they're in this discussion with him. And Anthony Davis, lucky enough to be able to still show off that big brow while wearing a mask, is in a pretty solid position to maybe take home this award. Uh, with 7.1 defensive rebounds per game, 2.3 blocks, 1.4 steals, 106.1 defensive rating, 2.5 personal fouls per game, leading the Los Angeles defense, which has the third best defensive rating of 106.1. And I already mentioned those steals and the blocks, but a stat that not many people actually know actually exists, according to the NBA, is this stat called Stocks which is just your steals and your blocks combined. He's actually third in the league behind Yusuf Nurkic and Jonathan Isaac. Uh, but it really shows his ability to switch from center to small forward. So what do you think about the brow and his chance at the deep how? Yeah, well, you know, the stock market is going up right now in the U.S. And it's no surprise that Anthony Davis stock has also been going up all season. And I like that you brought up how I like how you brought up how he's third in the league in stocks because I had no idea that was an actual stat, but now it's going to be my go-to stat in every basketball conversation uh, moving forward. But yeah, I mean, it's a little surprising that Anthony Davis has not won this award yet in his career. I mean, it seems like he's he's a little bit overdue for one. He's been a pretty strong defender um, throughout his entire career, and he pretty much changed the complexion of the Lakers' defense in one season. I mean, they were not a good defensive team last year, and he comes into L.A., and suddenly they're one of the top defensive teams throughout the entire season. Obviously, that has a little bit to do with the head coaching change, 
as well as playing alongside some other pretty solid defenders like Avery Bradley and JaVale McGee. But I think AD is definitely the best defensive player on the Lakers, and he's kind of the glue on that side of the ball that, that kind of holds everything together on the back end for them. And he can hold his own on the perimeter as well, which which is obviously an extremely important asset. Now, if you want to be a successful big man in today's NBA, you, you pretty much have to be able to switch on pick and rolls and uh, and at least hold your own and be competent guarding perimeter players. And I think that AD is very good um, when it comes to that. But at the same time, you know, one of the best rim protectors in the league. So, I mean, Rotom, is there any reason why he shouldn't win this award? Yeah, and I'm glad you finished off there with rim protection because our last guy, Giannis Antetokounmpo, is actually the best rim protector in this league. I'd actually like to break down the fact that his 41.9, an NBA record of opponent field goal percentage at the rim, a location where the league average is 63.7, a difference of nearly 22% difference of Giannis stopping people at the rim is insane. When you're talking about a guy who doesn't even play center, being that good at stuffing people at the rim, it's insane. And his stats go along with that. With his 11.4 defensive rebounds per game, a league-leading 97.6 defensive rating, 1.1 blocks, 1 steal, 3.1 personal fouls, leading the by far best defense in the league, Milwaukee Bucks, to 102.3 rating. Giannis actually joined Michael Jordan and Hakeem Olajuwon as the only players to win MVP and Defense Player of the Year. And he could join David Robinson, Garnett, Jordan, and Olajuwon as winning it both in their careers. So, Frank, what do you think about the Greek Freak versus the Brow versus Stifle Tower? A lot of a lot of good nicknames in this group. A lot of great nicknames. I mean, this, this could just be the nickname award, and I think and nobody would have any issue with that. But yeah, I mean, Giannis does so much on the offensive side of the ball, and he makes so many highlight offensive plays night in and night out that it's easy for people to forget, and especially casual fans to forget, how good he is on the less glamorous side of the floor. I mean, you just laid out the case perfectly. Defensively, he's nothing short as a rim protector, as a perimeter defender. I mean, with the seven-foot-plus wingspan, he he's truly a menace on that side of the ball and he's nearly impossible to score on in a one and one one on one situation, but also as a team defender. I mean, the Bucks led the league in defensive rating this year, like you said, and he is the reason why that happened. And for me, I, for as good as Anthony Davis is on the defensive ball, I think that uh, maybe better luck next year, because I don't think that anyone's toppling Giannis when it comes to defensive player of the year. Yeah, I got to agree. Uh, really, that closest competition is going to be Anthony Davis. Uh, and a damning stat that has to be brought up, and especially because you were just talking about his highlight plays, one of Giannis's best plays is LeBron-esque chase-down blocks that he has in the fast break when uh, teams break off. Because Giannis is a guy that plays pretty deep in the backcourt, much like Anthony Davis. He actually is pretty remarkable how few steps it takes for him to move all the way from one side of the court to blocking someone viciously on the other side. Uh, it's a pretty damning stat to hear that Anthony Davis, out of 513 qualified defenders this year, ranks dead last in fast break points allowed, which honestly is very well shown currently right now. If you're watching any Lakers games in the bubble, one of the worst things that they are doing is how poor they are at defending the fast break, which is why a lot of teams like Houston, Sacramento, the Pacers have managed to score so well against them because they're teams that thrive on the fact that 35-year-old LeBron James, a little bit of a slow Anthony Davis, 
32-year-old Dwight Howard, a little bit too slow to catch up to some of the quicker guards in this league. And Anthony Davis is not as bulletproof as Giannis is when he uh, get to covering that. So I think really that that stat alone really brings me to Giannis uh, being my pick for this award. Are you uh, are you in agreement? But uh, yeah, I gotta agree with you here. I mean, Giannis, I think it's uh, I think everything's fallen into place for him for him to win the Defensive Player of the Year award this year, and I think it's well deserved. But uh, you know, Rodham, let's say that I wanted to bet on this award. You know, what are the odds looking like? Well, the odds are looking good if you think Giannis is going to come away with it because he's currently sitting at plus 200. The incumbent, Rudy Gobert, at plus 450. But the odds on, surprisingly, against what we're saying, minus 150 for Anthony Davis. Mm. Pretty comfortable lead, actually. Um, so I'm I'm putting money down on Giannis. I actually already have uh, quite a solid amount on Giannis to take home the deep, the defensive player of the year. Mm. But it seems to feed that Vegas thinks the brow is going to take it home thanks to his Lakers uniform. Uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, that's a little bit surprising. I'm I'm surprised that Giannis' odds are in the plus, honestly. I was expecting him to be even, if not the favorite. I think the biggest factor there is is Vegas. Vegas wants a Laker to win at least one award. And I think they're probably expecting Giannis to win another award. Uh, wink, wink, hint, hint. Not going to say it, but we all know what it is. And because of that, maybe they think that Anthony Davis... Maybe they think that Anthony Davis is more of a deserving candidate for Defensive Player of the Year, considering that Giannis is already a favorite for a different award. So maybe that's why the odds are the way they are. But at plus 200, I'm, I'm definitely uh, all aboard the Giannis train right there. Uh, as you should. Uh, you know, thanks to a good bit of coaching and a good bit of talent, he definitely deserves to be in the position that he is. Yeah, but coaching is going to be the next step we take here to actually my personal favorite award. I love to see new, fresh styles of basketball. Uh, these are the most innovative guys in the NBA, the biggest brains and the best thinkers. And these three guys that we have listed here as the finalists are some of the smartest guys to have revolutionized the way we play basketball this season. And uh, Giannis's main man, the guy that's leading the charge on the best league's best defense uh, with an NBA record. 81.9 defensive rebound rate, 51.86 rebounds, 6.0 blocks, and 53.2 rebound rate. An insane rebounding repertoire for his Milwaukee Bucks. And that's Coach Mike Budenholzer looking for his back-to-back -back Coach of the Year award and also his third in his career. Never forget that Atlanta Hawks team that sent four starters to the finals. Enough about Bud, though. His next competitor is going to be Billy Donovan of the Oklahoma City Thunder. We already talked about Dennis Schroeder. Uh, part of the three-man guard lineup that closes out every Thunder game between Chris Paul, Shike, Lizzius, Alexander. But that three-way team is one of the best. And uh, finally, we got Nick Nurse, a finalist from last year, uh, as he deserved a freshman start to his coaching career with Kawhi Leonard in his side. Uh, but no longer does he have possibly one of the world's best players, and he's still in the second seed in the East. A pretty remarkable accomplishment, as what he's done is turn all of the players that he had last year into bona fide all-stars. Pascal Siakam, Ogiana Doby, Fred Van Vliet are all guys that, quite frankly, other coaches could not manage this well. Take a little bit of a focus here on Nick Nurse, as I already mentioned with that bench mob. Uh, Frank, any other points you want to talk about those Toronto Raptors and their uh, their head chief of medicine, uh, their nurse? Well, you know, he might be a nurse, but uh, there's no scrubs on this Toronto Raptors team. And that is evident based on how they've played this season. I mean, we talk about the Raptors a lot. 
and how impressive they've been this season. And like you said, that all starts on the defensive side of the ball. You know, Rodham, there's individual defenders and then there's team defense. And the Raptors are the best team defense in the NBA this year. And I think that Nick Nurse deserves a lot of credit, the majority of the credit for getting this collection of players to be as good as they are. I mean, no disrespect to the players on the Raptors roster because they're obviously talented and accomplished in their own right. But when you look up and down this roster, where where's the elite defensive players? I mean, Nick Nurse has gotten the most out of an undersized backcourt of two six-feet-tall players in Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet, uh, an aging Kyle Lowry, I might add, and a player in Fred Van Vliet who's never really been known as a stalwart on the defensive side of the ball. And OG Ananobi is, is definitely a an esteemed perimeter defender, but he's young. And, and Siakam is a good defender as well, but he's also fairly young. And Marcus All also on the wrong side of 30, just like Lowry. And through it all, Nick Nurse has uh, he's guided this team to, to a wildly successful season. And obviously the biggest storyline has been the Raptors' ability to overcome losing Kawhi Leonard, not just one of the best players in the league, the best perimeter and maybe the best individual defender in the entire NBA. And despite that, the Raptors have weathered the storm. And I think that Nick Nurse deserves a lot of credit for guiding them through rough waters. Yeah. A few more stats for uh, you stat heads. Their defensive prowess shows pretty heavily on the stat sheet uh, with 106.4 opponent, uh, opponent points per game, which is first in the NBA along with 37.9 opponent field goals made, which is first in the NBA by quite a margin. Uh, the league average is actually 43 this year, which is a solid six makes there are preventing their team from making, along with a 42.8 opponent field goal percentage, which ranks second, 33.5 opponent three-point uh, three field goal percentage, which is, again, remarkable without the best three-point cover in the NBA. Uh, not to mention, they have very, very active hands. You know, you mentioned quite a few guards out there that uh, probably – spent a lot, a lot of time in this offseason and in this Corona break working those hands at 8.7 steals mm. per game. This Toronto Raptors team is one that will not let a loose ball fly. Absolutely insane between the likes of Norman Powell, Serge Ibaka, uh, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, Terrence Davis, Cruz Boucher off the bench, all averaging six-plus points. Nick Nurse should be incredibly commended for the way he's turned around a team that lost its best player, that's managed to turn Kawhi's best attributes into the team's best attributes. It's as if Kawhi wasn't needed. He was just the blueprint. He might be the nurse, but uh, he's got the vaccine. Yes, sir. A vaccine that might be needed uh, by Quinn Schneider, but his divisional opponent, Billy Donovan of the Glow Simony Thunder, is a little bit of a different situation. I started this portion of the segment uh, talking about innovative basketball, and I think Billy Donovan is the future of how the NBA is going to play. You know, we took this revolution of three-point playing pretty far into turning guys like Brooke Lopez, who are perennial big five-mens, into three-point shooters. Well, let me introduce you. The three-guard lineup essentially confusing defenses into how a game is going to be played because each guy that gets the ball is a master in his own version of the offense, whether it's Chris Paul, who takes a screen, runs past it, and shoots from the mid-range, averaging a 53.9% from the mid-range, 1.09 points per possession as the pick-and-roll ball handler, or sometimes they'll bring it up with Shai Glizzy, our boy, one of our favorite players in the NBA, who averages 0.97 points per possession as an NBA ball handler. By the way, fourth in the league. First is Chris Paul. And the third guy, that's right, we're talking about him again. It's Dennis the Menace, who's currently fifth 
as the most points per possession as a pick and roll ball handler at 0.84, who gets assisted on 49.5% of his field goals. That was a whole lot of numbers. But to break all of that down for you, this is an offense that has never been seen before in the NBA. And it's simply one of the most clutch that is possible. It may be the players, it may be the situation, but not many teams can shoot 30 for 49 in clutch mid-range shots this season. That is better than the Clippers, who have notoriously better players. That is better than the Lakers. That is better than the Bucks, Celtics, Nets, Heat, Rockets, and pretty much every team you can imagine. The only team they're currently lacking behind is the Trailblazers, which might help with a little guy named Dame Dalla hitting a lot of those clutch mid-rangers. But quite simply, Billy Donovan has turned what many people were expecting to be a bottom dweller. Um, uh, pretty much a mishmash of just random players garnered through multiple trades of Russell Westbrook and uh, Paul George. Uh, but they're currently sitting in a playoff berth, second in their division, fifth in the West, a lot of promising players, and seven first-round picks in the bank. Billy Donovan, a genius. Yeah, I don't think any coach has experienced more of a turnaround this season than, than none other than Billy Donovan. I mean, people were talking about him potentially being on the chopping block as early as a couple of seasons ago. And now it seems like he's the Thunder's coach for the foreseeable future. And I mean, why wouldn't he be? Like you said, nobody, and I mean, nobody was expecting the Thunder to be anywhere near where they are right now. Second in their division, fifth in the West. A lot of people view them now as a potential sleeper in the playoffs a team that could go to the second round maybe even challenge for the conference for an appearance in the conference championship and i think that billy donovan deserves a lot of credit for the job that he's been able to do this season getting the most out of a collection of players that frankly probably has no business being this good being a 42 win team that is and they might have the worst collection of wing players in the league i mean they they have a, they've had a gaping hole at small forward and health for a few seasons, and it really hasn't been filled. But now, with the three-guard lineup that you mentioned, they've been able to do just that. And they're playing a little bit unconventional style of basketball, but it's working. And I think that Billy Donovan has put the pieces together and guided this team to a place that uh, no one could have foresaw them being in. Yeah, and uh, that place is in the playoffs. I mean, just like the Grizzlies earlier, you look back at those preseason predictions, the Thunder were not predicted to be a playoff team. In fact, uh, 538 gave them a 37% chance of even making the playoffs, but here they are locked in in a much better situation than most expected. I kind of already broke down Budenholzer's chance, uh, mostly due to their rebounding talent, their ability, and talent-wise, especially with Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, uh, it definitely deserves a lot of credit for what should have been a 60-win season. They're not going to reach it because they just didn't play enough games. Uh, but the rebounding, their tempo control, which had them number one in pace, number one with points per game, uh, and the best field goal shooting team in the league, and the number one opponent field goal shooting team, allowing all opponents to only shoot 41% from the field. It's pretty ridiculous how much they controlled the pace. So, Frank, between uh, Bud, Billy, and the Nurse, who are you taking? This is tough, you know, and I, I think that Budenholzer is a great coach in his own right, but I don't like the idea of him winning back-to-back -back seasons, especially when you consider for as good as the Bucks were this season and for as dominant as they were night in and night out, having Giannis definitely works against Budenholzer's favor in terms of him winning coach of the year. So for me, it really comes down to Billy Donovan versus Nick Nurse, and this is this is honestly very tough. I think that we, we made a pretty strong case for both coaches to win the award. And I really want to say Billy Donovan here, but I got to stick 
with my guy, Nick Nurse. And I just think that the Raptors have just been too strong on both sides of the floor. And Nick Nurse has just done too good of a job in getting this team to a 49-plus win season. And I think that he's gotten the most out of a roster that that people really thought was kind of left for dead once Kawhi left town. And that has been far from the case. And uh, Nick Nurse, I think, should be the coach of the year. I don't know if I already gave it away by my breakdown, but I, I genuinely know that uh, he's not going to win it. But Billy Donovan, God, I, I, you, this is revolutionary. This is Phil Jackson inventing the triangle offense in 1989. This is an award that Billy Donovan without a doubt deserves, but will not win because Nick Nurse is going to win it. We'll break down the odds in a second, but God, three guards lineups are the future of this NBA. I'm, I'm unquestionably when they play in the playoffs and they manage to take a top tier team like the Rockets or the Jazz or the Nuggets out due to the fact that it's simply so unguardable in the fourth quarter when you're trying to play multiple big men against a guy like a guy who has such speed like Shai Glizzy or or Dennis the Menace. I mean, even if your point guard's one-on-one with Chris Paul, which is already a challenge within itself, how how does a team like the Nuggets plan to stop that with a guy like Jokic or a guy like even Michael Porter Jr. might not be able to catch up with a guy like Dennis Bobo. <laughs> Bobo might be the answer. Yeah, there you go. But uh, yeah, I, I, Billy Donovan deserves the award. He's not going to win it. I would put my money on uh, Nick Nurse to end up winning the award, uh, though you might not want to. Nick Nurse is currently sitting at minus 1,000 uh, at pretty much winning this award with both Billy Donovan and Budenholzer sitting at a pretty distant plus 750. I just don't see a reason which you would bet on either of these guys. I love Billy Donovan. I, he deserves the award so, 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 so much, but he'll get it. Don't you worry. Those first round picks are going to coming and Billy Donovan will have his day. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that it's a shame that Billy Donovan's not going to win the award. I think that in any other ordinary season, he'd probably have a much stronger case, but coach of the year is ultimately a narrative award. And the narrative around the Raptors all season has been the job that Nick nurse has done. And when you have, like I said, when you have a superstar like Kawhi Leonard uh, leave for greener pastures in LA and you, your team is still able to be as successful, if not more, than they were the year before. Um, it just the stars aligned. Everything fell into place for Nick Nurse to win the award this year. Um, but Billy Donovan, Mike Budenholzer, definitely strong two and threes uh, in this race. Definitely, 100%. And uh, all three, love to see what they're going to do in the future as they continue to innovate and change the way we play this game that we all love. But at the end of the day, they only do them through the instruments that they are given. And those instruments are very valuable to them. But which one is the most valuable? That's right. We've gotten to the big one. The award that if anyone was watching this podcast, they're probably listening just to hear about this one. And it is the most valuable player. We'll start here with obviously the guy who we all knew was going to get here by the end of the day. And that's going to be Giannis Antetokounmpo. We already talked about it for defensive player of the year. uh, And it's, Absolutely astonishing that he's managed to be so good on both sides of the floor that he's garnered finalist awards for uh, both sides. Against him is going to be James Harden of the Houston Rockets, who has been here for a few years now. Uh, He lost out to Giannis last year in a very close split decision. The year before that, he actually managed to grab the award for himself. So, you know, the past two award winners are on here, but uh, none of them compared to a guy who has four of them on his shelf not to mention a few final MVPs to add on top of them that the other two cannot say the same for, but it's LeBron James of the Lakers finally got himself back up to the top three pinnacle peak that is the NBA MVP award. Uh, and, you know, Frank, 
which one do you want to talk about first? Because they're all just so good. You know, they are really good. And I think that in their own way, they're all deserving to be here on this list. Um, but when it boils down to it, to me, this is a one-way race, honestly. And I think this is Giannis's award to lose. And I don't think he's going to. I think that Giannis is the clear-cut favorite for this award. He was night in, night out from from the NBA opening night on. He was the best player in the league this year. And he was on the best team, the most dominant team in the Eastern Conference. A team capable of, frankly, had all going according to plan, maybe winning 65-plus games. I mean, they were on pace to be a historically great team. And I think that Giannis is the reason for that. On both sides of the ball, the presence that he brought, the highlight reel plays, just dominating, uh, dominating night in and night out, and dominating the highlight reel. And I think that, for me, the number two in this race would definitely be LeBron James. No disrespect to James Harden. And I think that LeBron is a pretty strong case in any other season, but he just can't stack up to what Giannis did this season. And I think that the media tried to create tried to create the LeBron James uh, MVP narrative when he went on that that week or two run just before the NBA season was suspended, especially when the Lakers defeated the Milwaukee Bucks in a head-to-head matchup and Giannis. And LeBron kind of outplayed Giannis that one night. Um, then LeBron's MVP candidacy really started to pick up steam. But through and through, I think that Giannis is the MVP. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, let's read off some of the stats with 29.8 points per game, 5.7 assists, 13.7 rebounding. That's third in the league. Uh, 29.8 points per game is also third in the league for that. 55.4% field goal range, 30.4% from three, which is definitely up along with 2.2 more three-pointers attempted per game, which is definitely showing a progression in his game, which is pretty scary for teams to think about, as well as leading his team to a 55-15 record, uh, which is easily first in the East. You brought it up perfectly. I mean, it's, it's a one-man race. There's not much more to say about it. I, it is a media-driven award, and I'd love to see LeBron to win another MVP. This is not the year, and hopefully this isn't the last year we see LeBron in there, but uh, it's going to be. But while we're talking and saying his name enough, we got we got to talk about LeBron James. Uh, and the argument for him is really just the big number, and between his 25.4 points per game, eight rebounds per game, seems a little career averagey. In fact, his points are a little bit down. But the big number we got to say is his league-leading 10.3 assists per game. Combining that with his current 25.4 points per game on 56% effective field goal range, he's averaging about 52 points per game created for the Lakers. There's not a single player in the NBA barely in history aside from guys like John Stockton Tim Duncan pretty much the greatest engines that basketball has ever created uh, that can even match those numbers and he's doing that on the number one team per ESPN's RPI and that's a lot of stats that pretty much just say that with LeBron James this team is not the same it doesn't matter how much Anthony Davis you get doesn't matter if Kyle Kuzma steps up this team is not the same and by definition you won't Which you wouldn't. You're right. Uh, you got to mention his name, though. Uh, Kuz, the dues. Uh, but <laughs> you got to absolutely mention the fact that he is, and I say this hesitantly, the most valuable player to the league's best team. Mm. So, yeah, the genius mastermind of the league's best team. It's really going to come down to that. Uh, should we even mention James Harden? You know, is it is? is I mean, it's just an honorable mention at this point, but uh, why not, right? Well, you know, what's crazy is that 
we're talking about James Harden, a guy who on the season quietly, and I say quietly in quotation marks, averaged 34.3 points per game to go along with seven and a half assists and six and a half rebounds. I mean, that's those numbers are insane. And, and we're talking about a guy averaging that those statistics. And we're saying he's a very distant third in the MVP race. I mean, that that frankly just doesn't happen. That happens very that frankly just does not happen. I mean, in any other season, somebody averaging 34 points, we'd be saying they're the favorite for MVP, if not a very, very close second. But, you know, for as good as James Harden was this season, he just can't stack up to LeBron and Giannis when it boils down to it. And, I mean, it's a shame for Rockets fans. It's a shame for James Harden. But at least he was able to win one MVP during his career. And, you know, I guess the potential exists for him to win more down the line. Or maybe, maybe he's just destined to always finish as an MVP runner-up, but never actually take another one home. Oh, is the bridesmaid never the bride for James Harden, except for his one marriage? But it seems like he's actually about to get another quick divorce. Uh, it should be mentioned, uh, aside from his leading stats, is the one that jumps up page. And his current 34.3 is good for 15th all-time best season scoring. Excluding Wilt, that's ninth. Not quite as good as his uh, last year mark of 36.1, which is seventh all-time. Second behind MJ without Wilt. Uh, but solidly destroyed his MVP numbers, which again really does just prove how insane of an MVP competition this is, that all three guys that have won MVPs are all having better statistical years than one of the prior years in which they've won MVPs, and yet two of them are essentially knocked out of the conversation. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely quite a strange race. I mean, it's a great MVP race in one sense, but it's also not so much of a great MVP race in another sense. I mean, you have three players all pretty much deserving in their own right. Three players who are all statistically having insane campaigns. And yet we're talking about Giannis as a clear-cut favorite, LeBron as a very distant two, and James Harden as an even more distant three. So it's been a strange race, but... um, Giannis is definitely the most deserving candidate. 100%. He takes both of their arguments and doubles them. So if LeBron is an engine, Giannis is the whole tank playing any part without any true superstar beside him, like AD or Westbrook. Giannis is undoubtedly the most valuable player. So, uh, you know, Giannis, enjoy uh, another nice year with the Maurice Podoloff in your trophy shelf. Yeah, well, you know, Rodham, it's interesting. So we both think that Giannis is going to win MVP, and we both also said that he deserves to win Defensive Player of the Year. Now, do you think that, and I think this is kind of what I was hinting at when you mentioned the odds for Defensive Player of the Year, that Anthony Davis is currently the odds-on favorite? Do you think that Giannis being the prohibitive, do you think that Giannis being the prohibitive MVP winner is the reason that he's less likely to win Defensive Player of the Year? I, I hope to think not that the reason that it is is just because Anthony Davis plays a more stylistic defensive basketball, which is shown again by the stocks, uh, his steals and blocks. I, I like to think that that's not. But in reality, I think that's how the voters are thinking that a Laker will come out with an award. And the fact that Giannis mm-hmm. just so heavily deserves the MVP, I would say I would say the distance between Giannis and AD and the distance between Giannis and LeBron the closer one of those races is going to be Giannis and AD, and therefore it's easier for the MVPs, to, for the voters to say Giannis is going to take home the MVP, the Lakers can be happy with the Defensive Player of the Year, and then we'll see who takes out for Finals MVP. But we'll see. 
one of those three players is going to go away without a single award. And uh, we'll see if that lights a fire under one of them. And if it's LeBron James, God, a playoff LeBron pissed that he didn't win MVP, that his teammate didn't win defensive player of the year, a fire is going to be under the King. And I want to see that happen. So honestly, I think it definitely could be a potentially reason, but I wouldn't expect it to be. Giannis probably should walk away with both awards. Yeah, I think he made some good points. And, you know, here's another question for you. We talked about how LeBron's won four MVPs in his career. And if he doesn't win this year at age 35, I mean, is the window closing or has it already closed now for LeBron to to take home another MVP during his career? Or do you think that sometime over the next three to four seasons or however long he plays for, do you think that LeBron can win another MVP, another MVP or has that ship sailed? I don't think that ship sailed at all. And it's because what we just talked about it is his argument is his assists and they've been increasing steadily and steadily and steadily throughout his career. Uh, his defensive side of the ball has only gotten better. He's second in defensive win shares uh, this season, along with a 102.3 defensive rating, which is absolutely insane for a 35 year old. Just to think there, I, I wouldn't be surprised if LeBron is once again, a finalist next year and that the big competition will be to see who finishes in the third spot. Because when LeBron leads the league in assists, next year and he brings two and he brings home another uh, assist title to his name it just won't be surprising i think he's got the window for maybe one more before luca becomes a before it's a luca and Giannis kind of race maybe trey young is in there maybe zion is in there but i think he's got this year possibly next year and a very the window is definitely shut up the year after that yeah i think that's probably i think that's probably a realistic timeline i mean a lot of MVP is narrative, right? And we see it sometimes in other sports when you have an aging star, you know, voters would like to see that star as he gets up there in age, win one more MVP. I mean, we've seen in the NFL with Tom Brady, he won an MVP just a couple of seasons ago in his late thirties. So I think it's definitely something that could happen, but uh, it would take a pretty historic season from LeBron for him to win another MVP. I think because Giannis isn't going away anytime soon. And young players like you mentioned, like Luka Doncic, they're only going to continue to get better and continue to become more formidable as MVP candidates. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out for sure. Yeah, it will. Uh, If you were wondering, though, for betting purposes, it's essentially a uh, no point in betting on this one because we do think Giannis is going to win. His betting odds are really ranging between minus 5,000 and minus 2,000, which are both incredibly high numbers that no one should really be taking. Though if you are interested in taking LeBron, he's sitting at around plus 1,100, 1,200. And the far reach out of here is uh, James Harden. If you genuinely think James Harden is going to win this MVP, well, get ready to make a bunch of money because at plus 8,000, could make uh, quite a nice sum uh, for there in James Harden. But Frank... Uh, you could also lose quite a nice sum. You could also lose quite a sum. And in fact, if you are putting your money on James Harden, you are bound to lose quite a large sum. Uh, but between all 18 guys we just talked about, I, I added one in there for most improved player because Devontae Graham was absolutely stripped of his right to be on the pedestal, uh, at least at, of, in anywhere in that competition. But anyone else you uh, you're picking out as a snub? Well, I'm glad you asked, and I got a point to the Sixth Man of the Year award, and I want to bring up one name from somebody that I think maybe should have been a finalist because I think that Davis Bertans of the Washington Wizards had a strong case uh, as one of the best six men of the as one of the best six men in bench players in the NBA this season. I mean, Bertans was a solid 
end of the rotation player in his time during during his time in San Antonio over the past few seasons. But after being traded to Washington, he emerged as one of the league's most potent outside shooters, and he did so as a power forward. I mean, what he did this past season was frankly unseen. I mean, fourth in the NBA in three-pointers per game at with 3.7, second in the NBA in three-pointers per 100 possessions, and finishing with a three-point percentage of 42.4%. He became just the second player in NBA history to attempt at least 8.5 threes per game and shoot over 40%. Rotom, the other name on that list, two-time MVP and multiple-time championship winner, Stephen Curry. So Bertans is in exclusive territory. And as somebody who painfully and regrettably watched a decent amount of Wizards games, I can tell you that Bertans was, frankly the only consistent source of offense on the Wizards roster outside of Bradley Beal. And he kept them in a lot of games. I mean, they weren't in a lot of games. Most of the time they were getting blown out. But when they weren't getting blown out, it had a lot to do with Bertans and his... It had a lot to do with Bertans and his scoring prowess. And one more fact to add to that. Bertans Bertans is doing all of this while missing one of his fingers. So... Add it all together, and I think Bertans had a pretty strong case to be sixth man of the year. And uh, I understand why he's not on the list. You know, it's politics. But uh, I think I just laid out a pretty strong case. Yeah, I, I definitely think you did. Um, will he, at, in the future, probably make one? Probably not. Uh, I would be surprised if he's not just an automatic starter for the Wizards by the time next year. But David Bertans definitely deserved quite a bit of quality minutes. Uh, for the way he played for the Wizards, but I believe he's an upcoming free agent. Uh, so, cross your fingers that DC managed to hold on to him. And we probably won't. Uh, you probably won't, but hey, new management, right? Uh, that's the big hope in DC nowadays without Ernie Grenfell. But uh, as we're talking about management, I got I to gotta bring up one of the other snubs. I, I'm quite uh, I'm amazed that didn't make it. Uh, I got actually two here for you, and uh, they're both teams in blue. Uh, you watched a lot of Wizards games. I watched a lot of Sixers games this year, and I thought it because I'd be watching five All-Stars in the court, but it turned out I watched five All-Stars and three guys that didn't know what they were doing uh, because of Brett Brown. Uh, but those three guys don't really matter because we're talking about the guy playing the number one position. And here's a, here's a little factoid, as you called him earlier. Uh, ben Simmons, five most defended players this season. Jimmy Butler, Jason Tatum, Bradley Beal, Pascal Siakam, Shai Glizius Alexander. The five undoubtedly best players on the Heat, Celtics, Wizards, Raptors, and Thunder. Uh, And those five players, those five incredibly high-scoring players, Bradley Beal, the second best scorer in the league. Pascal Siakam is top 10, as is Jason Tatum. Glizius Alexander is a bit too young to make that list, but is top 25, along with Jimmy Butler. Uh, They managed to combine, combine to score 50 points in total. 19 for 59 when guarded by Simmons. Not to mention the fact that Tatum Butler are small forwards. Beal's a shooting guard. Siakam's a power forward. And Galizius Alexander's a point guard. Simmons was first in steals, third in deflections in games, first in loose ball recovers. Absolutely ridiculous that Rudy Gobert, and it's a narrative thing. I get it. They want him on the list for three straight years. But the man can only guard one position, and it's the five. Simmons can cover one through five, and it's ridiculous that he didn't even get a single shout because he is an actual competition to Anthony Davis as the second best defender of this season. This doesn't compare in any close to Giannis, but God, 
give the man some respect. And while we're talking about giving someone respect, let's throw it over to Dallas. Now, I mentioned I love the Coach of the Year competition. And those three guys, they deserve to be there. I'm not going to question it. But a guy that definitely should have been in some court conversation that didn't even get listed anywhere near the top of the word is Rick Carlisle. Another fact dude for you, the greatest offense in NBA history happened this year. No, it wasn't the Bucks. No, it wasn't the Lakers, the Clippers. And it wasn't anyone you were thinking of. Better than the Hamptons Fives of last year's Warriors. Better than the Showtime Lakers. Better than the Celtics of the 80s. The best offense in the history of the NBA with a record offensive rating of 106.5 is Rick Carlisle. Now, probably wouldn't win it. Seventh seed in the West. Luka was pretty much the whole thing there. But you got to give something to Rick Carlisle. He changed the way this team plays. A guy that deserves multiple coach of the years already has one for his great work with Dirk. This is a completely different team than the one he coached 10 years ago, and he deserves credit for the way and ability he had to change that team. End of rant. God bless Rick Carlisle. God bless Ben Simmons. Anyone else you got? Well, Rodham, you can rant as long as you want because uh, you made some great points, and I can't really argue with anything you said. I think that Ben Simmons definitely deserves some consideration for defensive player of the year. I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, his shortcomings on the offensive side of the ball. Frankly, to be more specific, his his shortcomings on the offensive side of the ball in kind of the uh, the ragdoll that he's become on social media for his inability to shoot three pointers kind of uh, makes people forget that he's pretty good on the other side of the ball, which is defense. And as it relates to Rick Carlisle, I also like what you said about him. I mean. He's consistently been one of the better coaches in the league for quite some time now. You know, another guy who's also can be fit into that category is Eric Spolstra of the Miami Heat. Another guy who I think maybe should have garnered some consideration for coach of the year for the job that he did guiding the Miami Heat to a successful season in 2019. The Heat were one of the better teams in the East this year, and not a lot of people expected that they would be. I mean, Eric Spolstra played a very important role in in the development of several key players on the Miami Heat roster, whether it be Tyler Hero, somebody we already mentioned, Bam Adebayo, and some guys that pretty much came out of nowhere. Kendrick Nunn, Duncan Robinson, Derek Jones Jr. I mean, these are all guys who were maybe fringe rotation players up until this season, but Eric Sprolster was able to get the most out of the talent on the roster and uh, pretty much put together a pretty cohesive and potent rotation Uh, where it looked like there maybe wasn't going to be one. And I think that a lot of the Heat's success this season obviously had to do with the addition of Jimmy Butler. But Eric Spolster, I think, deserves a pretty good amount of credit for the job that he did. Um, But obviously, you know, Coach of the Year was was a pretty competitive award. was a pretty competitive award race this year um, after we listed all the guys that we mentioned. And there were a lot of guys who were deserving. But uh, Eric Spolster, he deserves to be mentioned. Yeah, competitors in the 2011 finals. Interestingly enough, actually, Spolstra doesn't have a Coach of the Year nomination, as well, which he definitely deserves at some point uh, between all of his work with the big three in Miami. But, you know, Coach of the Year, they've already made the decisions for all of the finalists in every single category, no matter what we say about Devontae Graham and how he should have won the award. But I'll put that again to bed. Uh, and when the awards are announced and you guys can finally tell us how much money you won or lost based on exactly what we said, or just to make fun of us for our wrong decisions. Uh, you can make sure to tweet at us or to DM us on Instagram at play it pod. If you'd like to DM me in at Rodham Kaufman and Frank, where can the listeners DM you about their angry rants? 
Well, you should DM Rotom before you DM me. But if you want to see what I have to say on Twitter, you can find me at FrankJP0. You can DM me on whatever you want. I'm always open to talk about basketball, but I will definitely rant about Rick Carlisle if you dare to bring up the word C-O-T-Y. Uh, just a heads up. You should have gone for the head. See you next week. Thank you.